0: Welcome to the regular podcast from Editorial Intelligence, the media analysis and networking business. You can see all our broadcast interviews on our EITV channel on YouTube and editorialintelligence.com. I'm going to introduce Conrad Wolfram and the person who's going to do the In Conversation, Benjamin Cohen, the technology correspondent of Channel 4. Benjamin is... uh, The reverse of ageism, which is he's the youngest ever person to do any of the things he's ever done, like be on a public company and be a technology correspondent. So he's sort of allowed to be young. He's celebrated for being young. He's even wearing trainers. Conrad Wolfram is very remarkable, and in fact I've been sort of lobbying him for a couple of years to come and participate in an editorial intelligence event, not least because he is a physicist and a mathematician who is sort of effectively a, one, a one-man Google, but has made an, a sort of industrial base of it, but in fact, the most remarkable thing about Conrad Wolfram, I only found out at lunchtime, is that we are related. And that will amuse EI people very much because there's always a Julia relative somewhere in the works. Uh, and so I'm glad today is no exception. Um, they are going to hold what may on the surface look like a rather technical discussion, which of course is not out of place in a conference called Mobile World. But like all of the things that we're doing, it is plural in feel. And I suspect that as the conversation progresses, progresses and includes you, you're going to find there's quite a lot of social and cultural elements to the discussion. But it is my great pleasure to introduce Benjamin, who will formally introduce Conrad. Thank you.
1: So I I first met Comrades when uh, we were covering the launch of uh, Wolfram Alpha, which is, well, we were sort of describing it as a search engine, uh, but it's not really. It's a sort of answer engine. Have have any of you used any of the Wolfram products before? The thing that I I most, I mean, you basically type in a question and it tries to find you the answer, whether it's a a, uh, mathematical question or um, it's uh, like, I wanted to know, why do I keep meeting people uh, who are about my age who are called Ben? And so I, I typed in, and I was able to see the, uh, the graph of all the people, uh, the, the use of names, and, I, and I, was able to, I was then able to match it up with uh, Michael Jackson's song, Ben. And uh, clearly, lots of people's mothers were um, quite well, I impressed guess we
2: there. had a roast beef sandwich in our thing for lunch. So I was trying to work out uh, how much I had to run around <laughs> to, to uh, wear off what's on the roast beef sandwich. So... That was the the, uh, calorific content there, if you happen to want
1: to know that. Well, that's an example of the sort of things it does. So uh, no sending you off to other websites. But do you want to explain a bit more about what Wolfram overall does?
2: So, look, our company's been based apparently way away from what you guys are talking about, which is in computing things, and computing high-level types of things, like differential equations and really knotty mathematics. And what's happened over the 20... plus I guess we're coming up nearly to 25 years that we've been doing that, is that co- computation has got democratized to a much wider range of people through automating different layers of it so that a lot of you guys are actually using computation, high-level computation, but you wouldn't necessarily know that sort of because it's hidden uh, sort of beneath layers of automation. So for some years, we made a, and we continue to make, Mathematica software, which does computation for sort of technical folks. And then... That had layers of automation, but then in 2009, as, as Ben mentioned, we sort of injected knowledge into that, and uh, we launched the Wolf Alpha product, which took computing, you know, took data, knowledge, information that was computable, that the computer could work with. We curated it very carefully and continued to do that, terabytes of data, so that then when you type a question in, like I just did, we use that computational power to interpret the question and to then compute an answer based on the information that's in there. Completely different process from search, for example. And so that's, in a sense, the link between computing things that we've been doing for for many years with uh, Wolfram Research and um, uh, the knowledge sort of uh, area that we're talking about here, in particular, mobile knowledge and and information and news and and those kinds of things. And, of course, you've got... There's a lot of apps as well. Yeah, well, so it's actually that's a, there are two interesting questions there because, you know, when we launched this, we were thinking, well, you know, there are various business models for this around making a website and around using this information sort of inside internally in organizations. So, we've, in fact, our biggest business out of this has been taking organizations and you know they say well we, we want to be able to do linguistic queries like you're doing but with our own data so can you set that up for us okay so we're using your technology now using our technology that's right um, because you know if you're in a company like like i am for example you know and you want to ask what was uh, you know what was ben's incentive last quarter okay you can't usually type that in what you have to do is you have to look down sheets of reports and try and figure out where, where ben is in no, the organization no what's that there was no incentive last quarter. Oh, dear, I'm sorry about that. So, so we should have a big zero coming out here. But, um, but, but that's the kind of being able to access... So, so there are various parts to this. Being able to access things with language, with sort of natural language, with linguistics, is a really important part of what we're doing, whether with public data or private data. So, so that's one side of it. The other side is how you package this up in terms of making money, and, and I was listening to some of the last session. So we've done fairly well, actually, on, like, the... the Apple Store. We, we, we trend pretty high on selling apps. Not just the, the base Wolfram Alpha app, but lots of derivative apps. We have a whole pipeline. We're, making, we're going to soon have 100 apps out there, which we can make rather easily
1: by... But, all, but all, the, all the stuff on the Wolfram Alpha one, I could access on the Wolfram Alpha website for free. That's so correct. Why, what's the incentive for people? What what's, do you think the reason is? I did it because I wanted it, because it felt more convenient. And I thought, oh, whatever. It was like two pounds or something. Yeah, I think... It's bizarre, perhaps, but right now people will pay
2: a small amount of money for an app when they often won't pay money for the same data on a website. Why is this? I think it's to do with the fact that there's a clean packaging around it. With a website, it's much more amorphous. You don't really know what you're going to get often. You, know, you, you buy a subscription to something, you don't really know kind of what that means. Somehow an app has got much more collimation in it. And that, I think, helps people to think. I'll tell you another thing, though, that's interesting. there's a sense in which apps function, they work, they're like software. People pay money for software, sometimes large amounts of money for Mm -hmm. software, like in in banks. Base information, base knowledge, for some reason, the value of that has gone lower and lower and lower and will continue to degenerate, I think. So The perception that an app is something functioning, something you work with, as opposed to just you are reading it, I think makes a big difference to what to the monetization of that.
1: And, I mean, what, I mean, do you want to explain your, um, your new document format? Because yes. It's, it's interesting, and it, it, it has sort of relevance, probably in pe- particularly the last discussion about journalism because of the way you could be reintegrating, interrogating data. Sure. So
2: Ben has pre-announced, which I let him do, yeah. a forthcoming document format we have called the Computable Document Format, or CDF. What we're trying to do is make documents come alive so that when you communicate stuff every day, instead of just being stuck with a dead HTML page or a dead chart, you can actually encode the, you know, much more by allowing the kind of reader to drive stuff you've built. So it very much links to what we were just talking about. Let me actually show you a couple of things here. So um, let's see. So here is, I mean, this is more of a scientific paper perhaps, but this is just looks like, a, in fact, this was a, this is a guy who's an economic lawyer in, in the U.S., and he was presenting to Texas uh, State, uh, you know, whatever they call, Senate or whatever it is. That's not the right term, but anyway. Um, what should they should do about hurricane insurance in Texas. And uh, he reckoned they were doing the wrong thing. So it's a pretty normal paper, and you get a ch- and then you get to a chart. The only thing is the chart actually works. You know, you move sliders, and it tells you if you change the setup costs, well, that actually doesn't change things much, you can see what actually changes, the return on investment, what's actually happening. So in terms of decision-making, this is a vastly richer... You know, during the actual hearing, they could go change things. They can play with it. They can figure out, do I believe this, do I not believe this? You know, what happens if I change such and such a ratio? Oops, it goes the other way around. So the concept of embedding, if you like, the interactivity of an app into the narrative properties of a document is kind of what CDF is, is all about. Um, so that's one example, sort of a paper thing. Here's a, let's see. Uh, so here's one, that's probably more media style, mm-hmm. perhaps. Have to get Ben doing this on the Channel Four uh, website. So this is, you know, a pretend media outlet, and just after the uh, Japanese earthquake, and this is some actual data on earthquakes and what's happened, and this will be live updating data, right. and then you know we can have a little live computation on, you know, what happens, the cause of earthquakes. And, you know, you can look at this from different angles. And this is live computation. This isn't just pre-canned. You know, I can do things here that the author never particularly determined. And the point about this, amongst other things, I think, is that two, two or three things. I mean, in terms of mobile, you get a much broad, you sort of get a much higher density of information here. So on a very small screen, you can actually go much further in communicating ideas than you can with a whole bunch of diagrams. In terms of monetization, I think we're already seeing that people are prepared to pay in kind of what we discussed with the apps, more for stuff that kind of works than stuff that doesn't work. More than just seeing
1: the same just seeing the same thing. thing. People (laughs) want
2: information processed. I mean I, I was discussing in another conference, you know the problem before the web, right, was you couldn't get the base information very easily. It was kind of difficult. Now the problem is everybody has a massive overload of information. So I believe computation is one way in which we can address that overload. Not the only way, but one way, by working on that information and working it, answering the exact questions you have, either with the kind of Wolfram Alpha type thing or by people making very rich documents in the form that I've just, just shown.
1: And so if we're sort of moving away from, from this, this sort of thing and we're to look at, you know, where is the web going? We were having a discussion beforehand about web 3.0 and we sort of have vaguely different concepts about where things go. I think that the web's becoming more social and that social signals start to mean the l- less need for algorithms because I trust the word of a friend more than a, a search engine if I'm choosing what pair of shoes to buy. But I mean you're, you're saying that actually you could be using computers to do that or to help enhance.
2: Well I mean it comes back to the same thing. I'm Well, let's hope we disagree, but I'm actually not so sure we disagree as much as... I mean, I think the problem is somehow you need to get computers to do some level of processing on the information. Web 2.0, in my view, was all about humans, the, the sort of readers, generating the information, in a sense, generating their own stuff, rather than some big authority generating it instead. So we have that, but the information that's coming out is basically unprocessed. It's just human data... Coming out straight out. I think Web 3.0 is all about working either with that information or with more traditional Web 1.0 information and getting the computer to do processing to answer the exact set of questions you have. Now, where I say it's similar to no, I'm thinking about it from a computational point of view. You know, do you understand the Twitter stream and can you somehow you make that computable on the fly and then do the kind of Wolfram Alpha processing to ask linguistic questions on it. Possibly. We're not there yet. Um, but I think even if you're just taking the information and, you know, using some algorithms to work with it, uh, where there might be search algorithms instead or whatever, to, to, but doing that real time, that, to me, is still the computer acting on that information to generate new content or, or adjust the content that's there.
1: Is that because what the, the, if you look at Twitter, it's just a bit of a... I mean, it's... it's
2: well, I mean it's just the raw humans, right? And, and in the end, that was a big innovation because, you know, raw humans, so to speak, couldn't express themselves to such a wide stage before, uh, not, not in that kind of form. So that's a huge innovation for sure. But now we discovered there are an awful lot of humans who want to do that across a huge area of things, and, and it's kind of, it's like there's overload. And the computer is, you know, the computer is there to automate processes for us. So rather than us looking through, let's say, all of our Twitter feeds, figuring out what to do, you know, you want the computer to do a much, much better job somehow at working with that through whatever processes it might want to use. So what what sort of, I mean, what what could be some examples
1: of how we might use that in sort of real life?
2: Well, I think, for example, you might be able to detect, let's say, uh, you know, I mean, well, there are simple algorithmic things you can do with trending and working out what's happening there and perhaps different takes on how that might work. Um, another thing you could do, perhaps, uh, you know, this is some way off, is to build, you know, to have some data that's, that's you know, w- where you understand people talking about different things in the financial markets and you're actually building an app live while you're, while you're doing that. And so that since there's an app which is, is sort of being refreshed in some sense based on, on linguistically understanding what's been done. These are a little bit far ahead. But, um, I mean, in the end, one of the things it's come down to is how easy is it to author the rich content you want to author, either to get the computer to understand it or to do it yourself. And um, actually, I could show, I could try and do one thing here, which I sometimes do, which is, um, let me, uh, let's see, I could try and build you a little thing just in real time here. So there I am uh, in a, off my internal camera. And now I'm going to do a fairly mathematical thing here, but you can imagine this in in other contexts. So I don't particularly want to update my Lenovo right now. Um, So let's, for example, say that I want to edge detect me. So that's a standard process for picking out the edges. And uh, if I do that, you'll see that we did an edge detect straight away on me on this live image. But now I'm going to do something to build a sort of, in a sense, a... um, uh, a little app here. So I'm going to say manipulate, which is, uh, you know, so I'm writing a little bit of code here. I'd like to avoid doing this in the future. And what I want to do is something like, uh, well, instead of that, I'll make um, uh, some some way to do this. Uh, so let's call this a function or something. And now I'm going to go and, uh, if I can do this in real time. So it's always easier doing this when there are not lots of people watching. But uh, uh, so let's say I want to edge detect, or I want to blur myself, or you know that'll probably do. And I want to do it with n going from one to ten, and I need to put an n in there, otherwise we'll get in trouble. What is n? N will be like the the extent of what n. I'm what I'm doing. Um, and so let's try this. Okay, there we go. So there's my little app, and now I can actually do stuff. Like I can change the level here. Of uh, well, I hope I can. Let's see. That's what happens when you live dangerously like yeah. this and do stuff. But anyway, you what I was trying to show you is I can actually build something live. And um, now I'm really annoyed that I can't <laughs> debug this in real time. But um, I can build something live, and it'll actually work. Let me, uh, okay, let me back out of that particular one. But the idea is, you know, the fact is, I built something pretty quickly there in, uh, in, in just a short space of time. And, you know, you, what you should be able to do is... Um, I guess I'm just playing now, trying to get this to work. Um, I'll leave it. But um, what, what we should be able to do is you know, set that up so anybody can do that kind of building any day of the week. It's not something that either I need to do or that somebody who's a programmer needs to do and, and get that working. And in fact, one of the things we've been doing recently is to try and link what I've done there up to linguistics from Wolfram Alpha. So the idea is I can type something very simple in Linguistically, and you end up with a little mini app at the end of it that actually works, like so. Okay, that one works. That one works. That one was pre-dumb, so that one's more embarrassing.
1: So that you basically just said that you want to. I want it to, to blur. say a blur
2: an image of somebody, and you know, get the result actually straight out there. Um,
1: and where, um, where, where these most of these tools, are you're effectively saying you don't won't need to be a programmer. Right. To, to well, use. that's the goal. And to some, for the, particularly for those with your new document format, I mean, is that the idea that a journalist could be putting in data um, or a, you know, a Absolutely. anyone could be? Anybody
2: could write. I mean, to, to give you an example of that, actually, assuming we're still functioning here, um, the, uh, we have a site. Now, this is kind of interesting as a, as a model of content. So this is, you know, it's, it's fairly techy stuff because that's what we do. But this is a site which now has, as you see, 7,122 demonstrations on it. These are active apps that people have submitted and over uh, a year or two. And these people are not programmers, per se. They are teachers. They're students. They're academics. They're journalists. And, you know, these are actually functioning kinds of apps. So I think, um, let's see. I was looking up Wind Farm or something. Let's see if there's something in there. Um, and... Uh, Nope, maybe that wasn't the right thing. I think we there's some gremlins here in the channel. For, okay, so here's one. Here's a bat occupancy at the wind facility in California. Okay, so this is a little thing that somebody's made to work out, you know, what they can expect in terms of the number of bats messing up their wind turbines. Um, so this is just something somebody built. It's just a way to communicate ideas. So, so they put in the raw data and then it, it... They put in the program. They wrote the code and, you know, they connected up with their own data or they put in their own raw data. But they made it easy enough, you know, it's easy enough that they bother to do that, but they can do that without being a professional programmer. So I would say we're halfway down that chart right now, as in, you know, we're kind of at the stage where if you could write an Excel macro, if you're the kind of person who would write, could write an Excel macro, you could write a CDF program. Right. Where we want to be is if you're the kind of person who can write an Excel chart, you can make a CDF. And I think with the linguistics, we'll get there. Um,
1: Sort of a totally tangential question, which is actually the reason why I met Conrad. I was researching a story about math and about whether um, you needed to know how to do sums anymore. And the, uh, because you can do them on a computer, and I guess the, the link of mobile is we're all now walking around with what, with, with computer power that would have been sort of supercomputers from the '90s in our pockets. If we're walking around with that, you, would you, do you believe that we need to know how to do the stuff that we're taught in schooling?
2: Well, so as, as Ben knows, this is a real bugbear of mine in terms of. Um, so I gave a TED talk on the subject too. I strongly believe our whole worldwide maths education is just fundamentally the wrong subject. And that what we're doing is we're teaching most people how to calculate by hand for ten years of their life. When what they really need to know is how to do the other stages of maths. Like, you know, set up the right problem, ask the right questions, convert that to maths, looking like maths, like expressions. Get the computer to do the calculating and then go the other way around, you know, get, turn it back from math to whatever the answer was they wanted in the real world. Instead of which, we're spending that time, 80% of most you know, GCSE and A-levels, for example, here, is on the calculating step, like solving equations and inverting matrices and th- things that nobody ever, ever, ever does outside education anymore. And if we use the computer and really base maths on the computer, I don't just mean assist the existing curriculum, I mean rewrite the curriculum assuming computers are always there in whichever form, whether Mm -hmm. iPhones or iPads or whatever. We could go so much further in actually getting people prepared for the modern economy and jobs and everyday living. And it's interesting to see since my TED talk, I mean there's been a huge response to that worldwide uh, because people just haven't been thinking this way about it. They keep thinking let's fix up the existing subject that we've got. And in In doing that, they're missing the main point, which is the subject of maths outside education has fundamentally changed. It's the biggest change of any ancient subject in history that I can think of. You know, computers fundamentally change the subject. In education, we somehow forgot about that and decided we would just go on teaching it the same way, perhaps helping getting the computers to assist us a little bit. But until we change the subject fundamentally... We're just on the wrong railway line and we'll just diverge from what we're doing and we'll continue having these problems where we're not producing enough technical people out of schools for the jobs and so forth that we have.
1: So that's my my thesis, I mean, basically. you could kind of... I was just thinking about... Well, I, I went to a really old-fashioned prep school and we had to do um, maths, like mental arithmetic every morning, and we had to do two hours of maths every day. And I, I, my maths probably was better then than it is now, but that's because I'm... Relying on the computer. But can it not make us lazy? Or not make, make us like... If you're going into a supermarket or you're going to a shop and you're charged the wrong amount and you can't do the basic adding together in your head and think, I'm actually being well. So, so
2: I agree with you, actually, in some of that. I mean, my, my issue is not that we should teach absolutely no-hand calculating, but we should only teach it where it really is practically useful today. And so I... Shopping. Shopping is it's, I mean when I go and you know buy something, I estimate you know did I get roughly the right change it's a lot of estimation right I do a lot of mental estimation by the time I'm sitting with a piece of paper in front of me, actually trying to you know work stuff out, math stuff out i 've got a computer in front of me, so I think a, a key dividing line is sort of mental arithmetic versus writing it down so i 'm all for teaching stuff that 's actually useful but but I think in terms of being lazy, I would say quite the opposite i mean. One thing I always point out to people is, if you look outside education, you know, do, do we think that people in science and finance and everything else, where maths has been used far more in the last few years than it has ever before, do we think that it's less conceptual? They got more lazy in thinking about things? Well, possibly, but I, I really don't think it's less conceptual at any rate. You might say they got lazier, but, but lazier in not thinking hard enough about the problems, not do because... you
1: think we can maybe take that, I mean, the argument further to say, well, if you if you can do the maths on, with using your phone, your iPhone, your iPad, do you really need to learn facts by rate anymore when well, you can have, when you could be sitting in, in an exam and actually have access to all the text no, I mean, look, and the Wikipedia? I think it, one you know? of the reforms to the maths thing you need, which you also need for these other things, is computers and exams.
2: I mean, it's just stupid. You know, computers are everywhere. We don't need to do exams without computers. That's not a good, reasonable test of some of these skills. Now, you know, as to how many facts do you need to uh, base facts versus sort of working out stuff from those facts, I think you still need some, for sure. Whether it's weighted the right way right now, I don't know. But one of the things I keep noting in, like, the current government is, and and actually many of the things I think Gove is saying makes some sense to me, I agree that things need to be more intellectual. But then there's this confusion about it needs to be more traditional. And I'm thinking to myself, in terms of maths, what does that mean? Traditional doesn't equal more conceptual, and traditional isn't what's happening outside. That might be fine for Latin, but it ain't fine for maths. It's different. So the subject under uh, you know, has moved on outside. So you can't... It, it's, it's not something where you can just say somehow the conceptual nature of it uh, is... Um, is related to how traditional it was.
1: If that was true of any subject, it certainly isn't of maths. But when it comes to other subjects, I mean, have you, is there any evidence that other countries are doing it differently and so are starting to say, OK, kids, you can take your iPad into your exam. Well, so
2: Denmark has certainly been running some experiments on computers and exams, not, not particularly with maths but with other things, and uh, with some success, I think. Um, and I think here I'm hearing that some of the boards here are you know, trying some provisional things, and, and you know, even we have some technology potentially for locking down things enough that you can pretty much be sure you know what the student had when. I mean, there are a few practical details to do with it, but in the end, you know, exams to some extent have to reflect, in my view, to be good exams. I mean, one other little peeve I'll put in here that often people have confused reproducibility of exams with fairness. They're different. Just because something can be reproducibly marked many times over it doesn't mean it's fair. Fair, in my view, means that it's a reasonable representation of the world outside. And so, again, with computers, there are a bunch of things. Yeah, there are a bunch of ways you can cheat. That's for sure. But is it a better representation of life outside? Uh, it, done correctly, absolutely.
1: And so just before we ask for any other questions, I mean, you're running um, sort of a search engine with Wolfmouse source Where do you think that... Where, where do you, the future well, where do you think that, that search is going i mean do you think it's going to be more are, are, are we are, you know, if you look at where, where google's going and um, things like the launch of google plus in the last week it's about social signals influencing search much more giving context to what people who people are in the in the results that they have to make them more relevant to them is that where do you think that That sort of personalization and social... Here's the way I zoom
2: out a little bit from that question. So a lot of people try to put me on panels to say, you know, what's the future of search? And I say the real question is what's the future of answers? Search is a process. You know, it happens to be a very useful process for getting certain kinds of answers, which has worked tremendously well in, in various ways. But it's one of what I consider to be many future processes. So what you're talking about, I think, is sort of hybrid search and... And if you like algorithms well, to work in that
1: social context, human yeah, personnel.
2: absolutely. Yeah, okay, sorry. Yes, as well as that sort of local social social data to, in a sense, to do that. So I absolutely think. I mean, I think there are several distinct processes here for getting answers. You know, we've got a computational process. Google have had a, basically a search process. Then there are things like maps, for example, which is in a sense another another style of getting answers. But I think there'll be lots of, you know, social, and, and there are social ways that we've seen with Twitter and Facebook. But I think we'll also see hybrid versions of all of these where, you know, it'll be some of one, some of the other. So in the end, the computer is doing more of the work, more of the heavy lifting, so that one gets closer to an answer or the range of answers one actually wants. But, but I think people's confusion about this idea that, that, that search is what one wants to do, that one's trying to optimize search, one's trying to optimize answer-getting, and we need to remember that search happens to be in a you know, process that works well. But it's by no means the only one.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the odd things about Google is they want people to spend less time on their site because they want people to be able to find the answer as quickly as possible. It's very, very different from like a media company. who wants Yes, that's right. Want people that's a good to, point. to hang around there as, as long as possible. Um, are, there any, are there any questions or points that people like to make from the floor? Uh, thank you for a fantastic presentation. I have a question about uh, your approach of building these types of algorithms, especially when you when you deal about, uh, with uh, documents, uh, which I think is a is a very complex uh, subject. So, is there a way of integrating crowdsourcing? Like, I can see some value of people joining forces and trying to customize documents somehow from from their own point of view. Yeah. So
2: how, okay. How, how so, you le- actually, that? let me answer your question about crowdsourcing first, yeah. perhaps for Wolfram Alpha. Um, and so one of the questions with Wolf Malfrey is, you know, how do we get our data, and what sort of who's the authority for the data, and how does that work? So right now we are, right, is the blunt answer. We're curating all the information with a mixture of sort of automated computer-based stuff and humans actually looking at it. Uh, now what we want to do in future is have a system whereby there's some crowdsourcing of that data. But then you need to know kind of by which authority it is. So you'll see various points in Wolf Malford. It'll say, you know, let I me mean, just to be clear, it's very hard to do this. You know, even if you look at things like borders of countries, people don't agree about where the borders of countries are, right? It depends on your perspective. So what we've done in Wolf Malford is we say, you know, assuming, let's say, the UN basis for deciding the border, the country border, this is the answer, but here's an alternative. You know, you might... There may be a whole list of other ways to view the data. Uh, so I think one way we can integrate crowdsourcing is to have a source of, you know, assuming crowdsource A is your data source, this is the answer. Right? But as, I think the, the key thing I think is important is that you're clear about your source as much as possible. Um, but it's tricky because, you know, there are sources we curate multiple sets of sources. I mean, the, the famous example we have in here is somewhere if I... But if I ask for, um, I think we have um, turkeys in Turkey. So the turkeys in Turkey, and turkeys in Turkey produces, if, I, if unless it's been fixed somehow. Yeah, okay, so there's a funny blip in turkeys in Turkey around 1999. There were an awful lot of turkeys in Turkey. Um, so we actually went off to the Turkish government to try and find out whether we, what the problem was here. And, and after extensive investigation, they couldn't figure out why there was so, you know, some blip in the data. But it, it's hard to do this. And frankly, the world's data is in kind of a mess for trying to, And the, the, you know, the sort of best for this is the U.S. government, which is the most collimated. Our government here is, uh, you know, needs a lot more collimation realistically to be that usable. Um, so that's some answer. Now, in terms of the documents, I think it's early stages for how that will work. I mean, obviously, I've shown you local computation on those documents. We will have cloud versions of this. And I think cloud is a great place to you know, to be able to have this sort of crowdsourcing in documents where everybody's sharing the same thing in a much easier way. And so I certainly think that that'll be easy to do with the technology we have.
1: I guess the danger of crowdsourcing is knowing that it's, that it's true. I mean, I always... Right. It always um, whenever I would end up talking about this, there's an amazing example of how Wiki, oh, Wikipedia about me is totally inaccurate, but when... Um, when a, there's a TV composer called Ronnie Chiselhurst died, and he um, composed theme tunes to Dad Dad's Army and Are You Being Served, and a load of other things, and uh, some someone decided to change his uh, Wikipedia profile immediately after he died, and meant that really lazy journalists, I've got to say unfortunately including Channel Four News, um, didn't bother to check it and uh, a check out when the edits were made. So Krishnan, when he read out a little mini obituary in the news, said, you know, he, he composed this, and, and remarkably he wrote, the, he wrote the number one hit single for S Club 7, Reach for the Stars. And of course, he didn't write it at all because he didn't write pop songs, but no one checked it. And it's um, even worse, by the way, when you're making apps, right, then you get
2: into the whole software quality assurance business, which is, which is sort of, in a sense, well, it's different, and it's, 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 it's less linear to check somehow. So that's a that's a you know that's a negative of having richer content. The um, richer the content, the harder it is to check.
1: You were just you were talking about the cloud. I mean, how how is the cloud gonna? i mean, We're seeing uh, we're all using the cloud anyway. When we're using Facebook and, sure. and things like that, and we've all been using Gmail and Hotmail for forever. So all that's, yeah, there's nothing there, that, that, that. No, yeah. but I mean, it, it seems to be the trendy thing to be talking about and to be excited about. But I mean, how is the cloud going to change computing or, or com- computation? Or computation. Stuff? I mean, we're working with all modalities.
2: I think what it will mean is it, if you're using a lot of kind of knowledge that you're sucking in, it tends to be quite convenient to do more on the cloud side. I think the other thing to point out is although you know, iPhones and so forth have good processing power, their, their operating systems are still quite lean in terms of what can be done practically on them. So if you therefore have stuff happening in the cloud and you just, uh, you just know, using it more as a dumb terminal, even if the computing power is basically there, that allows you more flexibility. So I think what we'll see, you know, everybody's sort of got mad about the cloud, and there are a lot of great things you can do with the cloud that people haven't perhaps thought about a few years ago, and the technology has improved. Um, I actually think it'll settle down, and there are some things it's you know, legitimately better to do locally, and there are some things where the cloud is helpful. I think there's more to be done on the cloud than has been. And the other thing I should point out is people... Like I know, I've always have this discussion inside our company. Assume ubiquitous connectivity, yeah,
1: as we say, it's and it isn't ubiquitous it relies yet. Relies on Like you really know, good it's connection. it's.
2: I mean, there are huge black spots, and it isn't as clean as it should be yet. And I think that's going to persist for some years. So you can't absolutely assume connectivity,
1: and that limits it a bit. Your Ofcom actually released a very interesting map today, where you can. That it's an interactive thing. You well, can interrogate cool. the data and so you can see them ages. Them ages. <laughs> ages to make with uh, lots of programmers. It, was, they should have gone math, but, um, it does let you quite easily show the, the whole large parts of the UK where there isn't decent connectivity because that is, that is, that's the big challenge.
2: I mean, even people. coming on the train from Oxford, right, you'd think that the main train line is fixed for connectivity oh, exactly. and it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. So, I mean, there's a long way to go, and I think some of the people have gone a little bit ahead in assuming this cloud connectivity when it isn't really quite, quite there yet. But, but it is exciting to see. And, I mean, from, from our point of view, I mean, we have now so many different, you know, do we have, for example, a player locally to accelerate things for these documents, or is it all done on the server side, or do we split it somehow, or how do we do it? There are pluses and minuses, and we will have all possibilities available but in terms of what do you want and when and at which bit do you want to work when, it's pretty complicated to, to
1: reason that through. Um, are there any other questions anyone has?
2: Um, sort of thinking about um, the landscape of the Internet at the moment, what's uh, your views on the fact that these devices are coming but there are so many different operating systems and, in fact, it's not standard so it's actually quite costly
1: if you want to get across all of them, and how does your CDF work um, across multiple devices? Okay, good. good. He, 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 promised me, he promised me that it's going to work on the... Uh, it will uh, definitely work. We don't
2: have it yet on the... Well, let, let me be clear about this. We don't have it locally set up for the, uh, for the iPad yet. I think we'll see a mixture of possible server-side versions and local player things, you know, uh, I don't know which will win in terms of coming out first. It is a challenge. I mean, I, I, I was just reviewing this a few days ago, you know, for years. I mean, it's quite funny because when we started Wolf Research years ago, uh, there were lots of operating systems, and we had to port Mathematica to tons of stuff, and we got quite good at porting things. Um, and actually, an amusing anecdote there is we were on the Next machine, and in fact, Steve Jobs was the guy who came up with the name Mathematica when he was running Next, and uh, so we were then the first application on OS X, which was basically next step ported across to Apple's when OS X first came out. So, so we've done a lot of work. Then it calmed down. I mean, all the way through the last few years, up until the last few years, you know, it was like I was a PC and a Mac, and we were on Linux, and that's about it. Now it's heated up a lot, and it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, there's a lot more money to be spent on that. I think it will calm down, but I don't think it will calm down immediately. I think there'll be, you know... There's obviously iOS, and there are the traditional operating systems. I think that there will be some conversions. I mean, and, and Android, yeah, of course. Android is, is, is quite tricky to port to, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, but obviously we're going to support that. Uh, you know, and we'll have to see where the other folks come along, how the new Windows stuff does, how the BlackBerry stuff does. Um, I, I don't think it's going to shake down super fast, would be my, my message and so I think one's just gonna to have to commit more resources to that. What I what I'm hoping is now we've kind of come through the first tranche of mobile platform OSs. Some of the difficulties there will be starting to get ironed out quite effectively in terms of being able to port stuff more easily. So I think that will start to make things a bit easier than than it has. Um, so I you know it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of these phases. I, I think these things will go in phases as different physical devices start emerging. When I go to Google, it refers me somewhere else, and I can make a decision about uh, how much I trust that data. This looks fascinating and, and, and innovative, but it, it's all whether I trust your organization to be providing the right data, or at, at least just... A, it, it appears to be that's the way it is. Yeah. So is, is that not a problem for you? It's like you. You talk about you, even just a university student writing a paper. They're increasingly under pressure to, to source things and reference things properly. Um, on what basis are you yeah. uh, to be trusted with the world's data? Sure. It's a, it's a good question. Look, I mean, we've tried to give... If you look at Wolfram Alpha, you'll find sources for as much as we yeah, can yeah. give sources for. They're usually down here, I mean, like this... You know, we'll, we'll see if this has good source information or not. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think there are... there are, I don't know how detailed this one is for this, but we've been trying to give good source information. Um, you know, I think that... Yeah, I mean, in a sense, we're trying to build some kind of trustworthy data brand around what we're doing, and so we're, we're pretty careful. You know, do we make mistakes? Sure, just like everyone else. And, you know... Um, But you're right. We're not trying to do, you know, we're not trying to send you off to say, well, we're not having anything to do with what this data is about. We're trying to actually give you some data we think is quite helpful. And then we're trying to produce the secondary sources, so to speak, for that as part of the information we're giving you. But the difficulty is the secondary sources, it's not like we can just take a whole source typically and say, that's it, because we've got to do some work on it before it's usable in most cases. And so it, it's a little complicated how we kind of account for that in a sense. Um, so that's an issue. Uh, we would love to see other people take responsibility for computable data. Say, this is the data; It's actually ready to work. And then we would be able to absolutely say, that's, a, you know, that's the UK government's computable data. There it is. Trust it or don't trust it as you
1: wish. Excellent. And that's literally four o'clock. Uh, so thank you very much, uh, uh, comrade, for, for that' was fascinating and I'm sure if anyone's got any
0: questions during coffee break, you're more than happy to uh, talk to them. Thank you very much.